host, Leah Sarah-Pierre, and welcome to my podcast, Pierre Med. I'm a Canadian medical student, human rights, global health, and social justice advocate, as well as just an ordinary human being. As of March 24th, 2021, the PMED podcast is an initiative affiliated with the PMED Foundation, an organization started and inspired by the very beginnings of these conversations. PMED's mission is serving humanity, connecting people, stories, and places. It is a platform that gives a voice to the voiceless, an ear to the helpless, and seeks to empower youth, physicians, and leaders far and wide. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stacy Lamkin, a pediatric pharmacist, aromatherapist, patient advocate, and more. She's here to provide us with the much-needed clarity when it comes to defining the differences between medical advocacy and patient advocacy, and how this difference can help us ensure that we do our part in making the healthcare system a better place. ever been confused about the differences between patient and medical advocacy or about advocacy in general as a patient, student or provider. Listen as we dive into discussion with Stacy Lamkin who provides us with guidance to tackle this problem. After graduating from pharmacy school in 2009, Stacy pursued a pediatric pharmacy residency and a career in academia. As an associate pharmacy professor, she uses her knowledge as a board-certified pediatric pharmacy specialist and aromatherapist to educate future healthcare professionals. Stacy provides didactic teaching in the classroom and clinical pharmacy education at a pediatric outpatient center in Buffalo, New York. In 2009, she became a board-certified patient advocate after experiencing firsthand the difficulties of navigating a new health issue. Armed with education and resources, Stacy transforms overwhelm and frustration into knowledge and power. As a patient advocate, she teaches family members, patient advocates, and healthcare professionals how to be better advocates for pediatric patients. I am Stacey Lampkin. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. A little bit about myself. I am a pediatric pharmacist. And after going through my own healthcare journey, started really becoming passionate about patient advocacy and became a board certified patient advocate. And another tip I like, or tidbit I like to tell people about myself is I also am very herbal minded and a certified aromatherapist. So I kind of have an, a good perspective from all different angles. I'm going to start off by saying that our voices are so important and um, even more considering the healthcare professional, what you can do to advocate and advocacy from health professionals isn't just important, it's imperative because all rules, regulations, disparities, injustices are at their heart. 
of political issues. So there comes a fine line in defining the differences between medical advocacy versus patient advocacy. And Stacy, we are very much in need of that clarity here from you today. So I want to start off by asking you, what is medical advocacy versus patient advocacy? That is a great question. And there's quite a little bit of nuance in between it. So sometimes when I have this discussion, people say that we're splitting words and but I think it's important to separate the difference. And I'm going to start with just what is advocacy in, in general. And when you look at the dictionary definition of an advocate, it's one who supports or promotes the interests or a cause of a group. So advocacy has tons of terms and it's kind of what you put in front of it that helps define it. And when you look at advocacy too, there's political advocacy where you're advocating and out in different organizations. And then there's kind of that one-on-one advocacy or advocating within a niche. So when we look at what is a patient advocate, there's actually a definition for the patient advocate certification board. And that is one who helps clients and client communities make informed choices and access resources. And it further clarifies that to be a patient advocate, or if you're performing a patient advocacy function, it's informational and not medical. And this is where the big difference starts coming into play is that a patient advocate and patient advocacy in that healthcare system realm they do not recommend specific treatment choices, provide clinical opinions, or perform medical care of any type, even if you possess the credentials. So for example, as a pharmacist, if I have my pharmacist hat on, I make recommendations, I might give clinical opinions, but if I'm in a patient advocacy role, I'm going to more give the information so that the patient can make the recommendation or try to make their own recommendation and decision-making in it. So there's, like I said, a fine nuance in between the two, but it's really medical advocacy. We're providing this clinical service where a patient advocacy is where we're really trying to empower patients in their care. And it's not one or the other. We can do both and healthcare professionals can do both, but we often tend to be more medical advocates than patient advocates. But if you ask people out in the world, and you say, oh, are you an advocate for your patient? We're of course going to say, yes, we are, but just in a different way. Cause we give that advice. We give recommendations. We often make a decision for the patients instead of engaging that patient in the conversation to try to give them all the information and make a shared decision. So that's my big umbrella overview of what kind of the difference is between the two. No, I think that is fantastic how you've identified that and especially that information segment and being a patient advocate is is a huge uh, difference that I, for example, am learning from you. Um, but can you give us some examples, Stacey, of maybe roles where a medical advocacy dif- differs to patient advocacy? I'd probably say the biggest role is how we present information and I know there's a lot of restrictions in the healthcare world. So I also want to just mention that often people say we don't have time to do what we ideally want to do. But if we start asking more questions and start involving patients in the care, we actually might save some frustration and time when it comes down to who's making the ultimate decision. So while there's probably lots of nuance between medical and patient advocacy, I really think the biggest examples are how we give information. Are we just telling the patient exactly what we know off the top of our heads, or are we giving them resources to say, here, go look this up. Here's some great information to help uh, you make a decision and come on board with this decision Mm -hmm. instead of saying, this is 
the answer, especially because evidence out there is not always so clear. So in those situations, then it's even more important to engage the patient and the family and the caregiver. So I, well, we're saying patients, it's any part of the patient's team that they want to be included instead of feeling the pressure of we have to make the exact recommendation because we also know, and we get frustrated if as healthcare professionals get frustrated, if we say patients are not adherent or not compliant, especially when we're talking about medications, but if they're not engaged in the decision or it's against their belief systems or cultures, or uh, they're just have questions that weren't answered, they're not going to, I wouldn't listen to the recommendation necessarily either. Uh, the, there's a culture shift. It's no longer what you say goes, yes, your authority figure and people respect that as a healthcare professional, but it's no longer you. I say one thing I say, you have to take this medicine and everyone's like, sure. Perfect. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I agree with you. And especially because so much of medical jargon, so much of medical terminology is not easily understood to someone, for example, that is just walking on the street, there needs to be that um, information that is translated into a form of knowledge that can be passed down easily. Um, so moving on to my next question, Stacey, is do you believe that medical professionalism and medical education, for example, should not involve commitments to political advocacy? Essentially asking you, should health professionals be political? That is an, <laughs> a dicey question for sure, because it, I think it depends on how you define political. I, my personal opinion is some things that are viewed as political shouldn't be political. So if, if when we talk about racism and gender and those, that is not to me political. That is something that became political size because of our society. So if that is what we're referring to as some of those, then yes, I think we do need to be political and we need to make sure that we truly are patient advocates for, in medical advocates for every person that they have access to the healthcare system, that they feel that their voice is heard in the healthcare system. And often in order to do that, we have to be political. And then not just in the medical education realm and making sure that we're teaching in that way, but encouraging people to get involved in organizations. And I think we do that anyways. There's in pharmacy in the United States, there's a medical or a, an advocacy, pharmacy advocacy day where we get involved in legislation and try to expand our privileges and uh, have shape different rules and regulations. So we're already political and just in, might not be the same way everyone looks at or how political are we. Absolutely. And I think especially since these past years, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement and the rise of social justice coming to the forefront and exposing these numerous disparities that have been seen in, in healthcare, there's been this move from traditional medicine where the physician was seen as unbiased, caring for all, um, not taking sides, being apolitical, to now as a professional, having to take that stance in advocating for your patient beyond just the clinic is, I think, something that we've seen coming up. Um, so, in Stacey, in which way do you think health professionals can be advocates for their patients? There's a few different ways we can be advocates. And I think the first is to, once again, be really clear on 
knowing her patient and going back to, I know in the United States healthcare system, you might only have 15 minutes, but trying to figure out ways we can get the most out of that 15 minute encounter and direct the patient to get to know them, ask them questions, ask them what their belief systems are, ask them if they're going to even consider medications right away. I think we often have certain biases that uh, influence that care. So what can impact our ultimate recommendation and how can we pull that in? And also not just in the history taking piece of a visit and getting that information, but when it starts coming down to the recommendation, clarifying, do we want, how does the patient want to be involved in that decision? Do they want to have us make that recommendation? Do they want it to be a shared decision-making or do they really just want to know their diagnosis or want to know the treatment options and they're going to get a few second opinions and work with other healthcare professionals as well. And it's not going to be the same every single time you see the patient, even within a patient and a patient, some decisions are going to be shared. Some decisions are going to be, Hey, can you just tell me what to do this time? So I, it's important that we don't assume that what each patient wants every single time. And that can often be a quick question of saying, I have some recommendations. Do you want me to make a recommendation and tell you what I think is the best treatment plan? What are you already thinking? Um, do you want to look at more information? And then we can come back in a month um, because we have time to make a decision or two weeks or one week if there isn't much time um, and being really respectable on when patients come, come back. And I think with telemedicine, it might even make it easier to allow patients to come back. That's that's perfectly highlighted, Stacey, about the ways doctors can advocate or even health professionals, nurses, physiotherapists, how they can advocate for the better health care for the patient and really guiding the patient in making informed decisions about their own care. I also want to add in before we go on the next question, advocating to outside of the encounter. I don't think healthcare professionals often do the best if a patient has a question, because we want to help patients, right? That's mm -hmm. a huge reason we went into healthcare is we want to help them. And we also always feel like we have to know everything. So sometimes advocating for the patient too is actually referring them to somebody else and really knowing where our scope ends, especially when it comes to herbal medicine or alternative medicine, instead of universally saying, oh, I don't recommend that just because we don't have the knowledge might be I can't recommend anything. I don't have the knowledge. You're going to have to do some work on your own and just let patients know where mm -hmm. our boundaries are. I think we just take on a lot and might spin our wheels actually trying to help patients outside of our, our scope, even if we're medical doctors, yes, or pharmacists, yes, we know the medications, but I'm a pediatric pharmacist. I will admit when people ask me about adult things, I have to call on colleagues or actually will ask them to talk to somebody else just so they get the best knowledge. Absolutely. Thank you so much for adding that, Stacey. Um, but my next question goes into asking the reverse question, which is, can patients be advocates for health professionals? And this question comes from situations maybe where patients see other patients maybe being racist or sexist or passing comments that may be very um, offensive and harmful to maybe health professionals. So can patients be advocates for health professionals? I definitely think so. I think we, on both ends, patients and medical professionals need to try to find ways to advocate for each other. As a patient, if you're going to advocate for medical professionals, I, I think there are ways to 
bring knowing the healthcare system. And I don't want to say filing a complaint, but essentially filing a complaint instead of bringing it up and passing to the nurse or the doctor, cause they're right there. If you had a horrible encounter at the front desk, often the next person you'll tell is like the doctor. And then you assume that the doctor is then going to do something about it. And they might say they are, but as even healthcare professionals, we need to say, here's who to talk to. Here's who to report to. Here is, if you're in a hospital system, here is our, um, discrimination board, if there is one, or here's our DEI expert, if there is a person. So I think we need to do better at actually helping patients know how to advocate within the healthcare system and know how to get their voices heard in that way, versus just assuming that we'll kind of take care of it. And to parallel that with, right, if you go to a grocery store and something, you'll go complain to a manager, right? You don't go complain to the clerk or um, just the random person in the aisle that you see, there's a chain of command. And when I see in healthcare, I don't see patients necessarily doing that. And I think some of it comes from not wanting to get anybody in trouble. If say they're a great doctor and they did maybe make a um, comment that they found offensive that one time, but they've been taking care of their family for 15 years, they don't want to make right stir the pot a little bit. And, but there's ways to go about doing that. You don't have to report them to the medical boards and say, but you could go to the uh, hospital manager or there and say, I think people might need more training on this. I'm starting to see more encounters and I'm hearing this statement. Maybe this clinic could use some education uh, if it's not in a hospital system. Absolutely, Stacey. And, and I think that is extremely important because just yesterday, for example, my sister was in uh, the healthcare clinic and the encounter she had with the physician was not one that she's ever seen in her life before. And for her, that came as a huge remark. And I, being in the position of a patient advocate, was kind of taken aback to see how her entire physique, her entire gesture, her expression in front of the healthcare professional changed where instead of actually advocating for herself, she she basically lost all form of potential to do so. And in that particular effect, I myself have realized how crucial and important it is for patient advocates to be there because if my sister was just one situation, how many other individuals are there that are not able to fully advocate in front of somebody who they deem as far superior and themselves inferior? Since I know, Cece, you're a pediatric pharmacist, um, what is pediatric patient advocacy? What we discussed so, so far is essentially patient advocacy. And then you just add in the pediatrics in front of it. So we put a pediatric spin on it instead of advocating for yourself. Kind of the big difference is how do we include parents and caregivers or family members into that as well as the child. One thing when I talk about pediatric patient advocacy is I don't think we do a great job, healthcare professionals nor parents and really making sure a, a child's voice is heard. Um, and I will say pediatricians might be, are actually really good at that, but sometimes in a fast paced clinic environment, patients actually, and parents are the ones that don't really allow their kids to advocate for themselves because they're uncomfortable in their environment. So when I talk about patient advocacy from a pediatric standpoint, it's how do we get even parents to be better advocates and allow their kids to speak up when they're nervous in their room, allow their kids to have questions when they're confused and lost and not sure what to do, uh, but and give kids that voice and their autonomy in, in their care. 
And how do we balance the decision-making between child and parent, especially as the kid ages and, and mm-hmm. maybe in their teenage years. So there's just a few more nuances to the patient advocacy. It's really, how do we include that, that kid in there? And then the other is even how do we maybe model as a parent, if we're going through a healthcare concern, how do we model that for our kids so that they know how to be advocates as they grow up? I don't know for sure for everyone, there's great advocates for themselves out there, but there are definitely a lot of people that can't advocate for themselves and don't know how. So how can we train kids then? If you can't advocate for yourself, how likely are you to really feel comfortable having teaching your kid that skill? So I kind of want to start having those discussions on even if you're not great at advocating for yourself, you can still advocate for your kid. And I will say it's actually easier to advocate for someone else, I think, than it is for yourself, as you just mentioned in the story. Yes, story. absolutely. I've, I've heard that often from patients. I've interacted with myself, seeing the situation with my sister, and just hearing it overall, that extending and I think advocating for someone else is sometimes easier because you tend to not think that you're as important or necessary able to advocate so I completely understand it but Stacy, what do we do in situations where health professionals or caregivers may see that maybe the problem that the child is facing is not caused from like a clinical symptom or a clinical problem but it's caused by social factors maybe something like poverty um, so what would be your response to that how do we intervene what role does patient pediatric advocacy have in in those situations for example For those, and I, it would be ideal if there were an independent or private patient advocate in that situation or care coordinators are an expanding role. So different people are starting to address those social, social workers, of course, are starting to address the, those different aspects. So from a pediatric patient advocacy standpoint, if you are a medical professional and you want to advocate advocacy is really just knowing what the person's interest is. And it doesn't mean we have to take care of everything. It's how do we help them and support them and give them information? And do we love to pass a person around? Of course not, but we Mm -hmm. can't take care of it all. So it's knowing, I think in this case, it's knowing what resources to refer people to. And it might be another person. It might be a patient advocate that can actually help guide that system or a social worker, or maybe in a rural community setting, we don't have those resources, but then maybe there's foundations that are out there um, or different programs that are out there to refer patients to, to help get that support. Absolutely. And I think it comes down to looking at the factors that prevent the child's full potential. And uh, for example, many pediatricians in BC are seeing that one in five children, for example, are suffering from poverty. So now they realize that in BC, for example, being a pediatrician is more than just being uh, having a child in your office. It's it's going on broader, higher levels of political advocacy. And so uh, there's been more of this integrated in in, Canadian, in the Canadian healthcare system where pediatricians are often looked at as voices that can uh, advocate for child and youth health. When it comes to providing medication to children, we do not have proper formulations that are evidence-based research. And we are still administering medication that is based on evidence for adults. So why has there been this kind of neglect when it comes to pediatric formulations? 
I can't hundred percent say from the Canadian standpoint, since I am us based, but I'm yeah. guessing that they're probably a similar answer. And unfortunately the answer comes down to capitalism and, and money. So there isn't money in pediatric medicine and drug development. And in the United States, they've tried to pass rules and to try to get more manufacturer or drug developers to include the pediatric population in the studies. But we typically see that they'll include down to 16 or 14 and not really have the whole spectrum. And once a drug is out on the market, there's once again, that money to go back and study it for a pediatric standpoint. So that is the actual answer out there in terms of why is it right? No, uh, there are organizations, like I said, in the United States, um, we have a pediatric, um, pharmacy organization that does a lot in trying to help push and guide this. Uh, we have branches in the government that are trying to get more medications approved and studied and, and uh, I'm not hundred percent sure for Canada, but I, uh, would love to see it change. And I think it is starting to change, but unfortunately it's, we're not there yet. Absolutely. Um, and why I asked Stacey is because I recently, we have federal elections happening in Canada. And I just recently wrote an op-ed that I was advocating for child and youth health. And in one of the recommendations I asked for was more funding to medications that are based on evidence for children. And I spoke about how I see it as a, as a human rights violation. There's like this whole gap that is there when it comes to providing care and treatment for children with, with different diseases. And especially if you go into rare diseases and children who suffer from rare diseases, that's an even bigger issue. So um, that's where I, I, love it. I spoke about <laughs> that. Uh, thank you, Stacey. But with communication often being a barrier to effective clinical practice, as we've highlighted in our conversation through our different stories, there's been this new professional that has come up and you yourself, Stacey, are a professional patient advocate. So what role do you see um, yourself maybe playing in the healthcare system or others like you playing in the healthcare system as we move on to the future? I will say that the patient advocate role is technically not new, but the defining of it as a certification is mm -hmm. newer in the past uh, five years. And but there's always been independent and private advocates out there. And sometimes we just didn't realize that that's who they are. It could have been a family member or a friend that came to the visit with it. And it's good to see this because I think it, we talked about earlier, it's easier if you're not advocating for yourself, especially if you don't feel well, if you're sick, uh, or if you're not in, familiar with the healthcare system at all, that authority difference, if you aren't used to talking to doctors on a regular basis, when you're in that setting, you can get uncomfortable pretty quickly. So I really think patient advocates and independent private patient advocates doing those appointments with the getting that information and really helping be that middle person in terms of communication, maybe interpreting some of that medical jargon, maybe helping them navigate the healthcare system if they're not familiar that they're, they can, you have a right to get a second opinion or different rights in the healthcare system. Uh, I don't wanna go too far into cost. It's a huge thing in the United States, but maybe like if yeah. there's cost barriers to care. So there's so many different roles that a private or patient advocate can play. I will just say personally for me, I don't plan on doing one-on-one -on -one patient advocacy, 
I really am more passionate about trying to teach people how to be advocates as a parent or provider and teach them how to be the advocate. So I'm starting online courses and classes and don't plan to do one-on-one myself. So that might be other roles. You might see patient advocates that have that certification might not do the one-on-one care, but try to help support and just get that information out there about what you can do as a person and what you can do as a family member or friend or anybody who's in in that room exactly and i think what you're doing is is incredible it's great it's very much needed so thank you so much stacy for taking the leadership and the ownership and that social accountability to inspire and empower individuals to be better involved in their healthcare. Um, and my last question for you, Stacey, or second to last question is, how can we as patients, professionals, and the public work together to provide holistic, comprehensive, and, in- and inclusive care for society? The big ways we can work together is just starting to have the conversation. That's a huge step is as once again, as we mentioned earlier about like biases, not realizing that you have a bias and admitting that even if you went through medical school or pharmacy school for that matter, that our healthcare system in the United States, actually in Canada did have some racist roots in its past, as Absolutely. well as discounted um, females. It also discounted herbalism and alternative medicine. And that wasn't that long ago. That was in the 1900s where our education really changed and we kind of had this professional elitism. So does that mean you shouldn't be a healthcare professional or where you're bad if you went to a traditional school? Of course not, but we just have to be mindful of that. There is that background and we need to start having that conversation and how can we change and move forward? And I think, especially as medical professionals, we need to start figuring out how to work with others, uh, advocating for insurance to pay for alternative therapies, recognizing that we have awesome herbal communities out there and are certified aromatherapists that have way more knowledge in that realm and that we don't have to know it all. And we just need to start bringing those connections. I say in my ideal world in the healthcare system, every primary care office would have a pretty expansive network in their office that would include a a social worker. It would include a pharmacist. It would include an herbalist. It would include different alternative medicine practitioners and Mm -hmm. not every person would need to go to every person, like every health professional in that system, but that we would be more collaborative and it would all be under one umbrella and we wouldn't have to kind of find who's who out in the world. And it's interesting, Stacey, that you mentioned collaborative because I, I had this conversation with, with a patient and they just said, I wish my gastroenterologist spoke to my cardiologist and I, I wish they spoke to my neurologist. And I feel like in that sense, there's kind of a disconnect sometimes because you just pass off the patient to the next provider and you don't really speak about what that provider saw or what that physician saw. And I feel that if you just ask the patient what they want, how they feel, I think things would be very much so different. I agree. Um, and it can get frustrating for patients when to see providers and, and it's, and it's frustrating for providers if they don't even have access to the note. So there is that disconnect in communication. And even if you are talking to someone in passing and the cardiologist and neurologist are, are talking it it's 
are right if you're not kind of all sitting some way in shape or form in like a team setting or are you making the patient repeat their whole history again uh, that they just repeated to somebody else yesterday it can definitely get frustrating and I get it again I always like to add this piece in that it's not hundred percent on the physician. It is a healthcare systems issue. Yeah. And it, the burden unfortunately falls on usually your frontline workers that they're like, yeah. well, I can't do anything about it. I only have 15 minutes if I had an hour. Um, so that's where, again, when we talked about earlier, like patients can advocate for that and say, I had a problem because I only had 15 minutes at this visit and it got cut off and not because of the provider. Like, I know this is a system's fault. This is an insurance fault. Yeah. Like we need to start advocating to, and, and, insurance companies and other people too. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. It's, it is a system. It's a healthcare system that has to change. And if we truly want to be better providing service to our society members and to the world essentially at large. Um, but Stacy, to round it off, what's next? Where can listeners follow you? Um, are there any exciting courses, events, maybe you upcoming that you'll be speaking at? Where can they follow you on social media? All my information is on stacylampkin.com and that's where you can kind of get an overview of what I do. I'm mostly on LinkedIn and Instagram at Stacy Lampkin and I'm going to hopefully by Friday, we'll see how my time scale goes launch an online learning platform. So it'll be, um, offering courses. Uh, my first course is set to go out October 8th is to be live. It would be a medication overview for patient advocates. And then I'll start adding in uh, lots of different classes to share my knowledge and for patient advocates as well as for parents and healthcare providers. That's amazing. I'm so excited to see the, the new course coming up and I will definitely link all the links to Stacy's website, her social media, and any information that uh, Stacy would like to be added. Um, but without, without anything else, Stacy, I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the Pyramid podcast, for sharing your views and insight and for providing us with this very clear definition and differences between medical advocacy and patient advocacy and how we really need this collaborative framework in order to truly serve patients effectively. So thank you so much, Stacy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pyramid Podcast. It means the world to have a supportive audience from 50 plus countries and counting. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to stay updated. Feel free to share it with friends and family members. And more importantly, follow Stacey Lamkin. For further information, follow us on social media or email us at pyramidfoundation at gmail.com. We here at Pyramid are excited to bring you new content, stories, and conversations week in and week out. We cannot wait to see our new and familiar faces here back each episode. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy.